You're listening to Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. Here's your host, Ed Yonka, Director of Communications and Public Policy. Thank you, Max, and welcome to this episode of Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. Today, we're going to talk about personal privacy. Specifically, we're going to talk about protecting one's most personal information online and how that information can be used or abused by others, including private entities and corporations. For many of us, the notion of privacy and what is private has dramatically shifted in the past few years. With emerging technologies, including facial recognition software, mobile fingerprinting machinery, and surveillance cameras, our ability to protect our identity is more difficult than ever, if not impossible. We want to dig into these issues as well as talk about what is a really a little-discussed Illinois law that protects our digital privacy. Our guest for this episode is Adam Schwartz, a digital privacy expert and senior staff attorney at the Electronic Frontier Foundation in California. Before he headed to the West Coast, Adam was a Chicago resident and a staff attorney at the ACLU of Illinois, where I was fortunate enough to work with him for nearly two decades. Adam is a friend of the ACLU's and an expert in this area, so we are really pleased that we were able to grab some time with him and get him to join us by phone today. Adam, it is really great to talk to you, and welcome to Talking Liberties. Well, thank you so much for having me. So let me start off, and I, I think maybe talk a little bit of, of some basics. Um, so at a time when we're surrounded by all this technology that makes our life easier on the one hand, why is privacy something that we should be concerned about and and actually want to be protective of? I think that um, our privacy is very important because when we have our privacy intruded, it allows other people to use sensitive information uh, against us or in manners that are uh, you know against our interests. And it's also important because it can redefine the relationship between the citizen and the state. The Supreme Court has written about this in in recent decisions uh, like Jones, which was the GPS tracking case, about the hazard that um, when there is no privacy, um, the individual is uh, effectively stripped of power and and the state gets that power. And so uh, in this era where technologies are changing so rapidly. Um, We need to make sure that these technologies are increasing our privacy um, and not decreasing our privacy. Um, It's not a matter of being pro or against um, the technologies. Some of them, like encryption, are incredible um, tools to to advance privacy. Uh, But um, unless people pay attention and make sure the rules are the, the right kinds of rules, there's the danger that we could be heading towards a Orwellian dystopia where the technology ends our privacy. Yeah, I wonder if I could tease out just a little bit of what you were saying about uh, thinking about that in terms of protecting it and and, and controlling it. Something even like the idea of location tracking, I can tell a lot about someone if I know where they've been, right? Hasn't the, I mean, the courts have written about this a little bit as well. Absolutely. Um, So, 
you know, in the 20th century, if someone wanted to know where you've been, it was extraordinarily expensive. You would essentially have to send, you know, a half dozen cops on an around-the-clock stakeout. And because it was so um, expensive and difficult, um, nobody was really tracking anybody's location that much. But in the new era, with technologies being what they are, it is, in fact, very easy uh, for uh, the government or a corporation or, you know, your ex-spouse who is out to get you or a identity thief who wants to take your money um, to track location. And that's because, for better or for worse, all of us are carrying around a tracking device, um, our cell phone. And uh, our cell phone is constantly pinging with towers. And these uh, phone companies maintain records of all of those pings. Uh, ACLU, um, you know, can be very proud that just 18 months ago in a very important case called Carpenter, um, the Supreme Court ruled that uh, the government needs to get a warrant before it seizes this um, cell site location information where you were when your phone was pinging with the cell towers uh, from the, uh, the phone companies and uh, wrote very powerfully about uh, the way that these automated technologies amass all this information in ways that were uh, inconceivable from the perspective of you know, the 20th century, let alone the founders of the country. And so we need to erect the right kinds of policies, such as you know, the government getting a warrant, um, in order to protect our location privacy. Yeah. Um, so I want to turn now to thinking about a protection and, and particularly why we ask you to come uh, on the show today. Um, because about a decade ago, Illinois passed what what is really an enacted, what is really a groundbreaking piece of legislation called the Biometric Information Privacy Act, or BIPA. And I and I want to talk about that a little bit, but I, but I wonder at the beginning, you know, just as kind of a first and obvious question, what is biometric information? What is my biometric information, or yours, or or one of our listeners? So biometrics are generally thought of as aspects of our body that are unique to us and can be used by other people to identify us. And so a biometric that is uh, familiar to all of us and has been used um, for you know, a century or more is, of course, the fingerprint. Mm-hmm. Um, and newer technologies have led to newer biometrics, um, including um, our DNA, our faces. Um, we now have voice printing where you can uniquely identify someone based on a digital analysis of various aspects of of their voices. Um, We're moving into a future, it's not widespread yet, but with heartbeat um, biometrics where people have uh, unique um, aspects of of their beating heart. There's gait recognition. Really? Mm -hmm. In the sense of how people um, uh, ambulate. And so the two features of these biometrics that that raise such extraordinary privacy concerns are one, um, it's very easy for other people to get them. Um, just by you know watching us uh, or taking a picture of us, uh, and you know most of us we're going to show our face. We're going to shed DNA and fingerprints as we go about our life. And the other thing is that once someone gets these from us, we can't change them. So you can change your social security number uh, if if you really need to, uh, but you know our face is our face, uh, and right, and that, that's, all these, and it's permanent in it's that permanent. way. 
So what does BIPA do specifically in terms of, uh, you know, controlling or regulating that kind of information, um, you know, where my privacy is concerned? So BIPA is uh, the Illinois Biometric Information Privacy Act is truly the gold standard of uh, privacy legislation. It does two things. The first is it says that um, people in the private sector can't collect uh, your biometrics, you know, your your face, your thumbprint, et cetera, um, and they can't uh, use or share your biometrics unless before collecting or using or sharing, they get specific, knowing, and voluntary opt-in consent from the person in question. And so this puts um, each of us in the position of power that we should have to make individualized decisions. You know, do I want to use my thumbprint to open my phone? Do I want to use my face to unlock my door, et cetera, et cetera. And it's not corporations making this decision for us. It's each of us making our own decisions. And the second thing that is uh, so important about BIPA is enforcement because a rule is just a piece of paper unless there's enforcement. And the best enforcement is a private right of action where every person who has this right, if they uh, suffer a violation of this privacy right, they can sue the company that, uh, that invaded their rights. And so by having this, uh, number one, strong opt-in consent rule, and number two, strong enforcement through private rights of action, um, BIPA is um, one of the most important uh, privacy laws that exists in America today. So we're going to get to the second one, the private right of action, uh, in a moment, talking about some developments around this. But I wonder, how how do you define, like, that concern uh, when a private entity, first of all, when a private entity um, has access to our biometric information, uh, number one, like, what is the... G- you know, what is that general concern? And, and I think secondly, a little bit of how do they get that information? Where, what kinds of examples do you have of the way in which they're gaining access to it? Yeah. So uh, as the first question, why we should be, you know, concerned about it being collected, you know, once an organization like a government agency or a corporation or whoever has this sensitive information, um, there is a lot of things that can go wrong. Uh, number one, it can be stolen by hackers, um, which of course happens every day of the week, including to the biggest corporations and including to the government. You know, Office of Personal mm-hmm. Management three years ago, hundreds of millions of people's data, including biometrics and uh, sensitive information, was just dumped because of a, a breach. Uh, number two, there's employee misuse. Um, you know, there isn't a system that's been created where you don't have, you know, unfortunately, men looking at the information to figure out how to uh, date somebody or look up their, their ex-spouse. Uh, you know, this has happened with NSA data. It's happened with law enforcement data. Uh, number three, you have the problem of um, other entities coming after this, this information. So the police can use it uh, uh, to investigate a crime. Immigration enforcers might want it in order to, you know, hunt down and, and deport immigrants. Uh, and number four is the problem of admission creep. Um, whenever you have this kind of sensitive information um, being used for one reason, uh, the next set of uh, corporate executives are just going to always think of new ways to uh, monetize the information and um, 
uh, that, that poses another set of threats. Right. And so this is why it's so important to the front end before a single scrap of the biometrics goes from your body to a corporate vault. Um, they can't do that um, unless they get your permission. You referred to the Illinois the Illinois law BIPA as being the gold standard, and I and I wonder, do other states have laws like this? Is it being contemplated in other states? What do you see happening across the country? Yeah, so on the issue of biometric information privacy, um, Texas has a law that is similar to the one in Illinois except it has no private right of action. And its attorney general, who does have enforcement power, has not seen fit to enforce. Mm -hmm. So that's, I'd say, a cautionary tale about why it's important to empower ordinary people. Uh, Washington State has one of these laws, but unfortunately, its definition has been uh, of, of biometric has been tailored to not cover faces. Um, we, we view face surveillance as uh, at EFF and, and other parts of the privacy community, we view face surveillance as one of the single gravest threats uh, to privacy. So it's so important, as Illinois does, to to include um, face surveillance. Um, a lot of other states have had bills, but they haven't passed. Um, in terms of the the, the the larger national perspective, I do want to say that um, there has been an effort underway in Congress to um, pass a law that would do a bit to protect privacy. And business groups that have said, oh, we don't need this for, for decades um, are begging for it because uh, secretly this is a plan to um, preempt all of the state privacy laws, including Illinois BIPA. And in the privacy community, we're saying we don't want this. And we point to, you know, a lot of laws and, and Illinois BIPA is always at, at the forefront of why we can't have federal preemption of, of stronger state protections. And a lot of... Um, uh, you know, lawmakers have taken note and have in turn identified Illinois BIPA as, um, you know, a, a national gold standard that, that should not be preempted by weaker federal laws. You know, I think you've alluded to this, but I, I, I just wanted to circle back to this for just a second. I want to talk about, like, what's been happening in the courts around BIPA, but is, is, is that facial recognition through photos and the images of our face, is is that the main way that this information gets collected? Is that really the thing that's kind of at the, the forefront since so many people put photos of themselves online these days? Yeah, I, I think that um, th there is an infinite number of ways that companies are going to collect our biometrics, but I think um, it's, it's worth focusing in on um, the face surveillance because it's so prevalent. Um, one example of this is that people are um, setting up accounts with corporations um, and are uploading into those accounts photographs of themselves. Mm -hmm. and so this could be on social media like Facebook. It could be photo storage sites like Flickr. And um, without permission from the uh, consumers of these products, uh, many of these companies, for example, Facebook, have um, created um, what's often called a template of the the face um, that was uh, uploaded and photographed. The template meaning kind of a mathematical analysis of features of the face, such as you know how far the nose is from the eye and at what angle. And they then assign this template to the name. And then as photographs get uploaded um, in the future, they're scanning all those photographs and trying to match um, faces to uh, to known names, and um, you know that they, they describe this as being good because it saves the consumer the effort of looking at all the photographs and and assigning names themselves. You know, manual manually tagging. 
Um, the problem here, you know, again, and this is the most important thing, is that Facebook should have asked people whether they consent to having um, this face surveillance conducted on them instead of just going ahead and doing it. Um, so that, that that's really the vice. So, so actually, this is a, that's a great segue because um, I wanted to talk about a couple of recent court cases uh, having to do with BIPA, and one of them is a case called Patel versus Facebook, in which the Ninth Circuit uh, in California uh, made a ruling about BIPA, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that case and and, and what impact that has on enforcing the law. Yeah, so uh, it's a really important case. Uh, Patel versus Facebook is brought under the Illinois BIPA. Um, Patel and others allege that Facebook um, violated BIPA by conducting the the biometric surveillance that I just described. Um, In that case, um, at the federal appellate court, there's an amicus brief that was filed by um, your office, the ACLU of Illinois, as well as my office, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and a bunch of other um, NGOs. And uh, so the, the court agreed with our position. And, and, and the, the issue at hand is, uh, and this is really fundamental, not just to uh, biometric privacy, but to all privacy, which is um, if there's a rule that says, you know, one person can't take another person's private information without consent, and someone breaks that rule, and that's all that's happened, is that a sufficient injury that someone should get to sue over it? Or on top of showing that, you know, someone peeped in your window and saw what you were doing, Uh, metaphorically, do you also have to prove that someone stole your money or that you were beat up by your ex-husband? And from the perspective of the the privacy community, uh, the answer is a resounding no. It is the invasion of privacy alone, which is the injury. And so in Patel, the question was whether the injury was sufficient under the Constitution. There was another case which our office has teamed up on um, in front of the Illinois Supreme Court a year earlier, um, which involved a suit against uh, Six Flags. And um, the question was whether or not uh, the privacy injury alone was enough under the statute itself, and, and the answer was yes. Um, and, and so the, the punchline is that if someone takes your biometric information without your permission, that is a sufficient injury that you should be allowed to go to court. And that's the result of the, the recent Patel decision. And, and, and we should say, so like Facebook in that case or Six Flags in the, in the case before the Illinois Supreme Court, effectively what they were arguing was is that, is that simply the fact that they violated the law wasn't enough that you had to demonstrate some actual, you know, I don't know, that you lost money or something else happened as the result of it, right? Right. The position of Facebook was um, for you to uh, have a standing, quote unquote, under the Constitution, meaning you've suffered a sufficiently concrete injury that you can even be in federal court. It is not enough for you to show that Facebook gathered your biometric information without your permission in violation of the BIPA. That's not enough, according to Facebook. It's also necessary to show, you know, the stalking or the the identity theft or the whatnot. And fortunately, that is the position uh, that the uh, federal appellate court rejected. Um, And uh, in doing so, you know, they said a lot of the same things that, that we had said in our amicus brief. Yeah, and 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 I think that the other thing we talked about this being important and critical, and I just want to underscore for the listener who who thinks sometimes when we talk about standing and and other things like that that it isn't important. But what this means is is that is that we've now had this federal court recognize that an individual 
can enforce this law and take this action in this way, uh, again, without having some terrible injury befall them. And that is important going forward. Uh, Absolutely. Um, I cannot emphasize enough that a privacy rule is just a piece of paper unless it's being enforced. And uh, private rights of action where you have standing are the best enforcement tool. It's why BIPA has been such a success. Um, So I want to ask, too, you know, I know that your office has looked at and weighed in from time to time. Um, There have been efforts by some of the big uh, uh, companies, especially some of the big social media companies, to kind of weaken BIPA uh, over the years. Um, They seem to always happen right at the end of the legislative session in the 11th hour. Uh, do you think we'll continue to see those efforts even even as the or or you know through some sort of federal rule that that waters this down? Is that the kind of thing that you'll predict we'll continue to see? Yes, I, I predict that so long as states enact strong privacy laws like BIPA, that the corporations who are subject to those privacy laws, number one, will make every conceivable legal argument about why the law shouldn't apply. Number two, we'll go to the states that created the law to repeal them, as we've seen at least three years running out of the last six. And number three, they will go to Congress and ask for federal legislation that preempts, meaning shuts down, uh, the state legislation. And uh, there's no reason to think that this will abate. Yeah. Um Adam, I, I wonder just just sort of as we as we move to to wrap up here, what what other are there other privacy issues, especially that you and EFF are are paying special attention to, that are things that that a listener of this episode ought to be thinking about? Yeah, I I, I will answer that question, but before we leave BIPA, um, I do want to underline something that I'm not sure has been said yet, which is that when this law was enacted in 2008. Um, one of the organizations that did the most work to support it was the ACLU of Illinois. Um, and in particular, um, two of the legislative advocates who uh, were with the ACLU at the time, um, Jim Fergadima and Mary Dixon. And so everyone who's enjoying their biometric privacy, um, they should remember to uh, thank the, the ACLU of Illinois for that. And Jim and Mary, in particular, you're absolutely you're absolutely right about that. They did they did heroic work on that, even at a time I'll be quite frank when some of us struggled to understand exactly what we were doing. Exactly, I think we, that's exactly <laughs> right. Um, now, as as your question, um, I would say that um, in the wake of the Cambridge Analytical scandal of two years ago. Um, where it turned out that um, Facebook, again, um, had um, managed its system in such a way that um, outside organizations could obtain control of the very personal information of tens of millions of people, which then was um, kind of weaponized in the, um, the 2000 election, the 2016 election um, on behalf of one of the campaigns. Um, there has been a spike of public interest in enacting uh, privacy legislation. BIPA is uh, the gold standard uh, when it comes to biometrics, but of course there's many other kinds of, of personal information right. um, that we should all be uh, concerned about. Um, one area of, you know, we could have another 10 podcasts about this, but in the waning hours of this one, I'll say that one area of special concern is the way that online companies um, track our behavior on their websites, in other online settings, and in the physical world. 
and then um, take all these little bits of breadcrumbs of information that I looked at the you know Chicago Tribune in the morning, that I you know walked uh, into a bank in the afternoon, um, and they build these elaborate um, uh, kind of profiles of us, which are then used for all kinds of things, including to sling advertisements at us that are uh, you know behavior based, and so. Um, what we think is really, really important is to pass laws that just as in Illinois, you need uh, opt-in consent before you collect someone's biometrics. Ditto, you should need opt-in consent before you track someone's online behavior. Um, now, a step in this direction, you know, a little step, not, we're not there yet, is um, the California Consumer Privacy Act um, that was enacted last year. Um, and EFF uh, works a great deal on, on uh, advancing that law. That's great. Well, listen, I will not hold you to 10 future podcasts, but this has been so much fun and and reminds me of old times that I hope I can at least hold you to a promise to come back and talk about these issues again sometime as we move forward. Well, it's a real pleasure to talk to you, Ed, and I promise to do so and look forward to it. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. So that is our episode for this time on Talking Liberties. We are grateful to Adam Schwartz of the Electronic Frontier Foundation for joining us today. If you want to learn more about the work of EFF and about Adam's work in particular, you can go to EFF.org. Talking Liberties is produced by Max Bever. Our executive producer is Chris Olson. This episode was mixed by Philip Von During. Our content supervisor is Kimberly Kazeel. Our executive director is Colleen Connell. You can subscribe to this podcast and rate us wherever you listen to your podcast. You can visit our website at aclu-il.org. And you can talk to us directly at talkingliberties at aclu-il.org. Until next time, this is Ed Yonka with Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois, and we'll see you soon.